Hello and welcome to the Customer Insight Leader Podcast. Data, analytics, big data, data science, machine learning, customer insight, behavioral science, blockchain, data ops, data engineering, agile working, phew, too many terms, too many things to think about. Do you as a leader need somewhere to turn, to hear what other leaders are doing, to hear what really makes a difference in your business? Welcome. The Customer Insight Leader Podcast is here for you. Each episode, we'll be interviewing a different leader in the fields of customer insight, data, and analytics to hear what they really do, what really makes a difference. So settle down, get that cup of coffee, and enjoy the Customer Insight Leader Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Customer Insight Leader Podcast, a place to hear from today's leaders in the fields of customer insight, data, and analytics. I'm your host, Paul Lachlan, and with me today is James Blagg. James is the Head of Data for Principality Building Society here in South Wales, where he's accountable for data strategy, data governance, and other responsibilities familiar to CDO-type roles. He has a background grounded in financial services, having worked across Lloyds Banking Group, Nationwide Building Society and now Principality. Like me, he's also got experience of working across a number of different functional roles, including things like business intelligence, risk departments within those businesses. So I'm sure we're going to cover some of what he's learned from those different perspectives. Welcome, James. Hi, good morning, Paul. Thank you for having me on the podcast. You're more than welcome. It's good to have you here. Good to have some some local guests as well. I've had people from all across the world on this podcast back to South Wales for a while. Yeah, fantastic. (laughs) <laughs> okay, uh, with all the guests I've had on this podcast, I, I've asked them, James, to, to give us a bit of their career history, if you like, their backstory, so listeners understand where you're coming from, the, the experience you have to share. So could you tell us a bit about your background and why you've made the journey into data leadership roles? Yes, sure. Um, so I've had, I've had a 20-year career in data. Mm. Um and I've worked probably at all levels uh, uh, of, of the kind of data um, life cycle, I guess, or, or, or all range of data life cycle and okay. um, all levels of kind of hierarchy, I guess, within in, in that. So um, mm-hmm. it's been quite a quite a journey. Most of my most of my time has been spent in financial services, as you mentioned in the introduction, mm-hmm. a few early roles um, in telecoms and, and, and uh, air, uh, aeronautical uh, engineering. But oh, like. primar- primarily financial services, really. Yeah. Um, and I've, I've I've had the I've had the opportunity to work on some really interesting projects in that time as well. So it's been quite a varied uh, a varied career, if you like. And I, I I guess I guess when I came out of university with a a degree in American politics uh, and history, I never I never really imagined I would be uh, I'd be starting or working my way up into uh, in, into a data role. Um, but I've got a natural inclination for problem solving, I guess, and a and a bit of a restless curiosity uh, that, that kind of suited, I guess, suited that kind of work, and, and it's something that I fell into and, and fell in love with, I guess. Great, great, yeah. That is that that is an unusual degree background. Funnily enough, in in the last podcast, I was um, talking with Alison uh, Williams about uh, being thinking wider about people coming from different degree backgrounds rather than focusing just on data science. So do you think that helped you, the, the 
American history and politics, did you say? I think I think it gives you perhaps a slightly different perspective. So so I've always I've always tried to follow my passions and and you know when when you come out of school and you think about university mm -hmm. I, I I picked subjects that were really close to my heart because I always believed that um you know you're more invested in in the topic you get better results. Yeah. Um, uh, and and you know you kind of help hone the analytical thinking you know perhaps in a slightly different context but um you know the analytical thinking and the questioning. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, you know that you, this, those skills that you develop through that kind of degree, I think, have definitely helped me and served me well in my in my time as a, a data practitioner and data leader. Great, great. Anyway, I interrupted you. Sorry, James. Go, go on with your, your burgeoning data career. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, I guess in my time as you know in the data realm, uh, I've, I've worked at, at Lloyd's, as you said. I spent nine years there, um, both. Uh, uh, developing data solutions and then leading teams of, of, of developers in, in, in delivery of BI and um, mm. uh, uh, reporting kind of uh, um, content. Um, I, I was very fortunate to work in, um, you know, to work with some great people there and to deliver some high profile uh, piece of work. So uh, you know, worked on projects like uh, capital impairment, mm. at the time where <clears throat> there's you know intense scrutiny. On, yeah. uh, on on the activities there through the financial crisis and the uh, integration that Lloyd's had with Hayesboss. Mm. Uh, and following Lloyd's, I spent uh, six years at Nationwide and, uh, and again, managed to work in some really interesting projects from a data perspective, uh, you know, GDPR key, key amongst them, um, mm -hmm. but also projects like BCBS 239. Uh, and, and I was fortunate enough to be part of um, Nationwide's, uh, 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 the start of Nationwide's journey into the big data uh, right. and, uh, and some really interesting kind of experiences from, um, you know, from, from starting that journey to, 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 to seeing it kind of progress. Mm -hmm. and, and, and now Principality, I've, I've been at Principality for two years and again, very fortunate to be working with some really, um, really, uh, some really good people uh, in, and, and, and laying the foundations for long-term success in, in the database capability. Great, great. Yeah, I think quite a lot of focus on data strategy type work, I imagine, at this stage. Yes, yeah, yeah. My, so my early career, you know, spent as a practitioner building up my knowledge and, and uh, understanding of uh, the nuts and bolts of data, if you like. Uh, and, and then my, the, the, the latter half of my career, I guess, has been spent uh, developing strategy and um, and, and leading teams, so so that that, that emphasis has shifted from uh, you know delivery focus to uh, you know to to visioning and um, uh, um, leading and motivating, I guess, coaching. Thanks, James. When we spoke earlier, I know you mentioned that one of the themes you see in your career is the need to break down silos to to overcome the disconnect between teams, whether different technical teams or technical and business teams. And to get them collaborating more to improve delivery. I wonder what you've learned during your different roles that helps you overcome that kind of breaking down silos challenge. Yes, yeah, that's a, a, a great question, Paul. I think, um, you know, it's an observation that I've, I've seen uh, that I've made at uh, every organisation I've worked in where, uh, you know, if you want to deliver deep and meaningful insight or, or you want to respond to um, a regulatory uh, um, requirements, 
Mm. There's a there's an end-to-end delivery chain, and, and quite often the teams that uh, are part of that chain are quite siloed or separate. You know, perhaps mm. areas of business um, uh, and, and working to different uh, uh, priorities. Mm. And, and, and what I've seen, I guess, is that that can lead to um, a, a number of different outcomes. In some cases, unmet demand. Um, uh, frustration in different sort of areas uh, of that chain uh, and unhealthy workarounds. Okay. So, so quite often, where you'll see your your data engineering teams perhaps sat in the IT function, your business intelligence teams or your end users sat in different parts of the business. Yeah. Um, you know the the inability to service demand from your BI teams into your warehouse teams. Mm-hmm. Uh, results in, in 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 unhealthy workarounds, I guess, and 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 uh, you, you can kind of get addicted to those short-term fixes. Um, but what I've seen through some of the major projects like GDPR and some of the integration projects I've worked on, mm-hmm. you start to expose some of those un, un, unhealthy behaviours or unhealthy uh, um, uh, deliverables. Okay. So so so, so that that to me is 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 you know, symptomatic of a lack of recognition of the end-to-end chain uh, and, and the, the, the common method that's required to get those teams working together. Um, and, and, and for me, that's the, the, the key to cracking the problem is, is, is recognising that delivery on that scale starts in your warehousing environment okay. but doesn't finish until your end users are um, satisfied and able to, to, to act, you know, independently. Yes. Yes. So, so, so definitely, definitely getting a common method that, that unifies those teams, recognizes is, is is key. Then getting them working to a single backlog of demand or common backlog of demand is key, where all parties are able to um, present their needs and, and, and demand and, and have it prioritized accordingly. Right. Right. That, that, that makes sense. Sorry, go on, James. And, and, and the third, third and last thing I think is 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 about accountability and, and 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 empowerment. I think so for the business teams that are ultimately the end users of these or or, or end consumers of these uh, deliverables. You know they they have to have a, a you know a, a sense of um, empowerment and accountability for 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 delivery and, and and therefore influence over the teams that are delivering for them. So, so getting these folk working together, where uh, they're directed by, uh, you know, um, uh, business stakeholders, mm. definitely key for me. So, it's a product owner type role, I think, mm. uh, and, and I think that's one of the positive benefits I've seen of the agile movement, is the creation of these product owner roles where they have a much more, uh, um, you know, direct involvement in in the activity of uh, your delivery teams on a day to day basis. That makes good sense. Yeah, yeah, I've seen I've seen that be beneficial as well. And I think that in many ways, the whole focus on clear roles is a is a great benefit of some of the agile methods. I was interested, James, hearing you there that this is a really striking phrase, this uh, unhealthy workarounds that you used. I just like to clarify to make sure I've got the right understanding here. So were you meaning in that context, short termism? So the, the things are just done as a quick fix rather than something that will be sustainable as a solution. Or is it that they're too myopic and local, that they're, they're, they're a workaround that works for that part of the organisation but causes problems elsewhere? Or is it both? 
it's a bit of both, Paul, I think. Um, the organizations I've worked in have a term for it called uh, end user computing. Mm. And it's, it's essentially where you tend to have um, you know, skilled, skilled individuals that work outside of the IT domain uh, are able to use and manipulate some of the more advanced features of Microsoft Office or some of the BI tooling that they're using. Mm. Uh, but the, the solutions that get built uh, are, are, yeah, are either siloed or, or, or blinkered in, 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 in only fixing part of a process. Or, um, or or start to build a, 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 an increasing skills dependency on a specific area, and quite quickly, you know, quite quickly, you are uh, building up a, a risk, if you like, um, of um, uh, you know unsupportability, mm. and, and, and and more often than not, it's compensating for lack of pace and agility in your data warehousing team, mm. uh, where 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 you're not able to service the demands of your BI teams and your analysis teams so they take matters into their own hands yes yeah, a good good balance to point out there at the at the end so i was almost tempted to play devil's advocate a bit there james that I, having um actually once in my career had the had the title of head of end user computing um mm -hmm. i've i've certainly worked and led teams who are maybe as technically skilled as the it department but but sit out outside of that area um and from their perspective as well there can be a lack of the IT department either having the skills or particularly the the understanding of the needs of the organization to deliver what's needed either and it, it seems that it's it's a way to meet in the middle effectively to have a way to promote maybe the intellectual work that's been done in the business into something that can be operationally supported rather than having to start over again and everything's built by traditional IT methods do you see that or do you think that's misguided well, there's, there's definitely there's definitely a, a place for both, I think. Uh, mm. But for me, the key is getting the two parties working together. You know, if you have if sure. if, if, if you recognise that that end-to-end uh, -end dependency to deliver value, mm. you have to have those two parties working together to put the right solutions in place. You know, what you tend to see with the end-user computer, if you if you start to shift the the logic to the right, you know, in terms of your data transformation and your um, data manipulation. You tend to see repeated effort throughout businesses because these mm -hmm. end user computing teams mm -hmm. tend to spring up in your marketing function, your risk function, your mm -hmm. finance mm -hmm. function. And, and actually they're all they're all trying to solve the same problem. If you can start to solve that problem further upstream, you know perhaps yeah. in your data in your data environments, um, you can cut out a lot of that uh, repeated effort, yeah, and also reduce a lot of the risk of uh, um, you know, um, misreconciliation and uh, yes. supportability. Yeah, so, yeah. so the business understanding that sits with the with with your your end user computing folk and your your analysts, you've got to try and uh, uh, sew that sew that in or marry that up with your you know your IT kind of practice, your IT um, you, you kind of more disciplined sort of delivery methods, if you like, delivery yeah. teams. I hear, I hear you, James. It's a good point. I, I will ignore the voices in my head that are going off saying lots of heads of data ops outside of IT will be going, we're disciplined delivery method people as well. But there, there we go. I, I hear what you're saying. When, when I talk about IT, what really what I'm talking, I'm, I'm not talking about the IT function. I'm talking about perhaps a more disciplined approach to delivery. Ah. So so perhaps that's a, a little bit misleading by, by talking about IT. Uh, I, I'm, you know, I'm proudly uh, uh, part of a data community that sits outside of uh, an IT function, um, but in many organisations I've worked in, I've seen 
IT delivery teams, so uh, sorry, data delivery teams, data yeah. warehousing teams sat in IT. Yeah. Um, I, I definitely think there's a there's a uh, a benefit to um, having data closer to the business, but but in doing so, it's got to work to a you know to 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 a recognised kind of method. Agreed. Agreed, James. Yeah, no, important to bring that balance in. Okay. Well, let, let's focus also on the reality of a business and a risk focus background that you've got in your experience as well. Like me, you were working at Lloyds Banking Group during the financial crisis of what 2008 to 2013. I, I know it's a challenging time to work there. Um, and I believe at the time you were leading the team working on capital impairment calculations. What did you learn from as a leader, I guess, from leading a team like that during such a pressurized time? Yeah, that, that was a, that was a really a really interesting kind of period for me, uh, and, and and you know gave me some formative lessons, I guess, quite early in my career as a, as a as a leader of of data teams. Mm -hmm. um, so this was, as you say, back in back in sort of late two thousand eight through to probably about two thousand eleven two thousand twelve, mm -hmm. uh, and uh, I I'd started to lead a team that was developing Lloyd's capital impairment calculation engines. Uh, you know, working with third parties to build these, and then and then uh, you know, operating them and developing them ourselves, mm. <clears throat> and 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 that started off as a process of um, sorry, just before just before the financial crisis. So so we'd started to build these applications, run them in a steady state, oh. and, and then pretty quickly, uh, demand and focus and attention uh, really narrowed in. On this work because of course, it's, yeah, you know, it's, it's it's share price um, uh, impacting, it's uh, uh, um, attracting regulatory scrutiny and interest. Mm. So uh, all, all all eyes kind of you know honed, honed in, if you like, mm. um, and and the demand, the level of demand on the team went from you know a couple of pieces of work concurrently to multiple multiple strands of demand. So business business uh, opportunity driven change, regulatory driven change, mm. integration driven change. Mm. Uh, so so some some really some some you know really compelling kind of um, sort of context if you like. Mm. Mm. Key, key lessons I, I, I took away from that. You know, whilst whilst clearly having to um, balance uh, uh, delivery of high profile and, and, and important work uh, against well being of your team. Yeah. Um, you know that, that 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 was clearly clearly a challenge. Um, but for me, the, the the key the key lesson I think I took away from it was about proactive engagement and an adoption of a, a more partnering perhaps approach to stakeholder engagement than uh, than, than I'd ever uh, considered before. You know, I, I think it's quite easy when you're leading these delivery teams just to think about the solution that you're delivering in the context of the, the you know your your own remit. And, yeah. and for me, um, that period really taught me that you have to get out and understand the business uh, and the business uh, area, I guess, that you're supporting mm. and, and their needs okay. uh, and motivations. And if you, if you, if you can do that you know, appropriately, uh, you can then start to work with them to better tailor your solution. That makes good sense. Could you, could you tell us any more about... What what worked for you in that kind of business partnering? Obviously, as you say, getting out there, but I guess getting other areas of the business to really 
believe that you understood their needs, particularly at such a such a pressurized time, as you say. What else helped, as well as just getting out and about? So, I, I think I think it's about building building relationships and you know, understanding understanding stakeholder needs, and, and and then delivering on them, and uh, and, and then actually beyond delivering on them. You then start to build up the the trust, and you can then start to advise and consult and and, and shape mm. their strategies and their plans, mm-hmm. and, and that's something that really really stood me in, in, in good um, in good test um, during that period was being able to be more proactive in, in 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 helping them manage their demand and their their needs. Yeah, yeah. So you, okay. you, you go beyond manage your own backlog to helping yeah. your your customers consumers manage their own backlogs. Mm-hmm. And how, how did you balance that? I mean, you're mentioning well-being, and let, let's remind ourselves, people weren't talking a lot about well-being back then. You know, there's mm-hmm. a lot of focus on it now, but I can remember back at, back in those times, as well as people baying in the streets for bankers' blood, there was um, there was not a lot of focus on well-being of people. How how did you achieve that during a time of pressure? I, uh, and the, the honest answer is, uh, we've, we've mixed... With mixed success, Paul. Um, Thank you for the honesty, James. That's true for most leaders. Yeah, <laughs> uh, you know, I, I learned some really important lessons about, mm. you know, how to, you know, how to, how to treat people and 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 and, and, and what's a, a a reasonable ask of people. Mm. I, I've I've always been very driven myself, and I've always uh, been very focused on the task in hand and 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 getting it done. Mm-hmm. And I kind of have that expectation of the people around me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think I think during that period, I, I, I realised that you know not 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 everyone comes to work for the same reasons, and and just because they don't necessarily come to work for the same reasons doesn't mean that they don't have a meaningful part to play. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I think the key key things I took away really from that period were, you know, everyone's motivations are different, everyone's contributions are different, and you have to treat people. You know differently in different situations mm-hmm. and you have to let people do the job as they best see fit and, and interpret it in a in, in in a way that works for them mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so so i probably went pretty quickly from being quite um set in my ways mm-hmm. to being a lot more relaxed about um how people work and um when people work and where people work mm-hmm. and uh and hopefully that paid off in 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 them feeling that they've got more independence and more um, more more control over the work that they do and how they do it. Yeah, that makes sense. Certainly, I think if you can avoid micromanagement, you're you're, you're a long way um, towards success. Many many times, I guess the other thing that occurs to me is is many data leaders, particularly with a technology background, can can struggle with perfectionism, um, partly because they they kind of understand what should be done, what can be done, um, and, and can find it hard to compromise to different ways of delivery or imperfect solutions delivered on time, for instance. How have you learned to, not just at that time, but more generally across your career, pick your battles, be pragmatic, overcome perfectionism, if if that is a struggle for you, James? Uh, it, it definitely is. And I think, I think it's probably not uncommon in uh, people that uh, are drawn to the data to the data world, uh, you know, I agree. a lot of us like to organise things properly, uh, and um, uh, you know, are quite frustrated when uh, when things don't look quite right, or um, 
you know, business, uh, we feel the business is perhaps taking uh, short term, short term measures. <clears throat> and, and you do have to remind yourself, you know, I, I have to remind myself daily that um, compromise is not is not necessarily a bad thing. And, uh, and that getting a job done is better than a job being perfect. Mm. Uh, um, uh, most of the time so it is it is it is a constant struggle um you know i i, I, th I think back to the times where i was a developer uh, and I, I probably spent too long making sure that the solutions looked and felt right mm -hmm. and i could have probably added more business value by by uh, doing less um you know on each instance uh, on, on each on each project um and and and, and delivering more projects mm, mm. and I, I do see that at times with my you know um, approach to leadership you know sometimes there's a tendency to you know i, I can I think back to periods of my career where i've, I've been uh, <clears throat> i've been too uh, too focused on finding the right thing you know with recruitment for example mm. whereas actually i could have taken a, a slightly more pragmatic approach and um and delivered results quicker Right. Yeah. Yeah. I guess we're back to your, your earlier reference to Agile as well, that whole powerful model of, of iterating more times and getting imperfect solutions into the hands of the business to get the feedback and to collaboratively work rather than trying to get something too perfect and then not having the time to iterate. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And, and, and I'm, I'm, I'm a big fan of this, um, you know, the, the, the shift to, to Agile. I think it's got some really sound and solid principles at its core. Um, so, so yes, uh, <clears throat> um, quicker iterative uh, delivery, I think, is, is, is definitely the way forward. Good, good, good to hear, because I know that different data analytics teams have had different success with it. But I think, like, it's nicely put there, actually, James, that at the core are some solid principles, a solid philosophy, I think, that makes sense, even if some of the prescribed methods that were designed for software development don't quite work for data analytics teams. I, uh, I, yeah, I, I, think, I think that's, uh, yeah, I definitely agree with that. You, um, you have to really understand what's at the core to then work out what works best for you and your organization, mm -hmm. because all organizations are different, even, even though they have commonality. Um, and, and you, you have to take those principles and adopt them and adapt them for what works best for you. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Always wise from a leadership point of view. Another take, I guess, on, on quite a bit of your background is um, banks and, in, and insurers can be notoriously risk-averse organisations. At a time when data teams are being encouraged to experiment and fail fast, like those fabulous people in Silicon Valley, how are you managing to encourage innovation and, and get investment from executives who probably <laughs> want hard evidence of financial return and certainty before investing yes uh yeah i mean that's a really common scenario that i've encountered numerous times um mm. where the words are uh, you know perhaps not backed up by by actions uh in in, in previous organizations so mm. um you know whilst everyone's uh, adopting the mantra of of you know, fail fast, learn, learn quickly. Um, it still comes with that ask for, you know, evidence uh, of, of tangible return. Yeah, yeah. I, I think the key for me, and, and this has been, uh, uh, this has been uh, evidence probably through a piece of work we did last year, was to, to start small and to look at what we can um, deliver with, with very little you know, investment. 
uh, that, that demonstrates op the opportunity. Mm. So we, we did a we did a, a machine learning uh, proof of concept last year on um, forecasting for our contact center, mm -hmm. uh, and we, we we could have we could have looked at it from a, a slightly different lens and insisted in putting <clears throat> a, a machine learning uh, 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 capability in place and infrastructure in place and building a, a, a big project around that. Mm. Uh, in the expectation that it would deliver value, mm -hmm. but but that you know clearly that would have um, brought with it a, a, a much higher, a much lower tolerance for for failure, I guess. Yeah, yeah. So so the approach that we took was start with one person uh, and uh, a, a temporary um, a temporary uh, work work environment and an, an IT environment and, and a small set of data. And, and just left that individual, the data scientist, alone for three three months to 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 look at the value that could be delivered. Mm. And pretty quickly, we identified opportunities to improve accuracy over the way that things were done today, just by using existing data sets and existing technology. Mm -hmm. And we built we we you know we evidenced that through through um, through the analysis that we were doing, mm -hmm. and, and built uh, appetite momentum for. Or this piece of work, uh, and 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 through that we've we've now managed to uh, you know that that that's one of the pieces of work that's underpinned the the strategy that we put in place and the work that we're going to do over the next eighteen months, mm -hmm. um, and, and we couldn't we, we we couldn't have we couldn't have done that I don't think without um, you know if we if we if we'd have tried to do it all in one go from the outset that would have it, you know it, it it would have taken much longer I think mm -hmm. it would be much harder to kind of prove the value. So by taking a small, um, a small opportunity, experimenting with it, uh, and, and demonstrating some of the opportunity, it's definitely uh, definitely paid off. Uh, it's, it's paid off in dividends. Good, good. Glad glad to hear it. And yeah, I've I've seen that work myself as well in terms of that smaller pilot and, and incremental delivery. Make, makes good sense. James, I, I often ask leaders on this podcast to share how they're still developing as a leader. And given the conversation we had before this podcast, I'd actually like to ask you to share more on a theme you mentioned to me earlier, how you're challenged to stay open-minded as a leader, to avoid that temptation to get set in your ways after a few years, which frankly is not just true of data and analytics leaders, but true of all types of leaders. Have you been staying open-minded? Hmm. Uh, that's, that's a great a great question, Paul. And I think, I think the honest answer to it is... Uh, you know, it's a learning, it's a learning journey, uh, mm, and, and there've sure. been times in my career where, you know, I've, I've perhaps been a bit complacent and felt that I've, I've known it all. Um, mm. You know, I can think back to my uh, early career at Lloyd's <clears throat> and perhaps at Nationwide, where, you know, I felt like I uh, I, I knew the domain and um, uh, and was a, 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 a you know had a level of expertise in it, and and, and I was pretty quickly exposed by my later part of my career at Nationwide, where you know starting to work with um, Big data platform and starting to to look at um, data science activity, mm -hmm. and you soon start to realise you know whilst you have a, a degree of knowledge in a certain area, there's a, there's a whole bigger wider world, uh, and, and and that world keeps moving on. Yeah. So so I definitely found my preconceptions to be challenged by by changing circumstance, and and you have to kind of recognise that and reflect on it and and adapt to it. Mm -hmm. And I think you know. When I think from a technology perspective, I've, I've been on a, a, 
significant learning journey like uh, like many others uh, in, in the field Absolutely. over the last four years around um, the whole cloud kind of computing world. Mm. Uh, but from, from a leadership perspective, um, you know, again, it's, it's, it's pretty similar. You, you know, there have been times where I've been pretty complacent. Uh, I, I felt like I, um, you know, I've, I've, I've got the skills that I need and, you know, I've built uh, successful teams. Yeah. But situation and circumstance, you know, can, can challenge those preconceptions. And I think you, you have to you have to keep um, keep learning throughout your career, both from situations that happen and you know reflection on those, uh, but also from <clears throat> you know developing your knowledge of um, people and, uh, and and their needs and um, uh, you know how to get the best out of people. And that's something that uh, that's something that I've, I've constantly uh, tried to uh, tried to do. I think I think it goes back to this restless curiosity that I have not not just for data for uh, for um, technology, but for that I've been the best uh, being the best um, I can be. I guess in 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 the different activities I'm uh, responsible for. Yeah, yeah, n- n- nice read across, James. I can see that 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 restless curiosity about people helps your your growth as a leader as well as the obvious application of restless curiosity in in the in, immense world of data and analytics with all its many many evolving technologies and uh, thinking T- taking that kind of approach then of, of getting the best out of people one thing i've always been keen to protect time for in these interviews is to give something out to those in our audience who are younger in their careers looking for tips as to how they should develop maybe they're near the start of their career as an an analyst or a data engineer for those who are earlier in their data careers what skills and knowledge would you recommend they should focus on developing hmm. skills and knowledge um so so i think uh you know perhaps when i was again reflecting on my my kind of journey when i was earlier in my career you know i focused purely on technical knowledge and i probably honed in on a certain aspect of the data life cycle um, and, and uh, delivery life cycle, which was um, data warehousing, uh, ETL and uh, data modeling. And, and my, my kind of advice to others, I guess, starting on the journey is to be uh, open minded and to uh, explore as many different aspects of the subject, because it's, you know, it's a broad, broad subject um, as possible. You know, try as many different things as you can before you know, choosing your 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 domain your domain if you like, <clears throat> and, and and that can extend both across um, you know, the, the, the data lifecycle in terms of um, uh, you know the management of data and the exploitation of data, but also different types of um, you know different phases of delivery, whether that's uh, development, um, operation, governance and oversight. So you know it really is a broad a broad world. Indeed, it is. It keeps it fresh and interesting, doesn't it? Thank, mm. thank you, though, James. Good, good, good advice. And a, a number of other leaders actually I've had on this podcast have emphasised that importance of of having a wide view, having a broader understanding to, as a good foundation for your career. So I hope it helps those of you who are listening at that stage of your career. Mm. Finally, then, and thanks for your, your engagement with these questions, James. I'd like to ask you to give us an example of something you've changed your mind on in the last few years. And, and I ask leaders this because I want to emphasise as, if you like, an ethos of these podcasts, 
that we're all learning and growing still. We're all imperfect and evolving. And we need to change our minds and develop when we, we spot things that uh, we've either got wrong or things that we could improve at. And that's true for leaders just as much as practitioners. So what about you, James? What have you changed your mind on in the last few years? Yeah, thanks, Paul. It, it, it comes back to that point around perfectionism, I think. And and, and I can see, um, you know, in, in, in some instances where I've, I've um, uh, probably probably been too perfectionist in, in some, of the, some of the work that I've pursued. And, and for me, the learning really is that um, it's about value and value creation, mm-hmm. and that can come at the expense sometimes of what feels like uh, to to a data professional, what feels like the right solution. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and, and 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 it does take a bit of a, a, a mindset shift, I think, to to accept that uh, in creating value, you might not um, fix all the. The, the the problems uh, that, that that exist, and you might not resolve all the uh, ills of the past, um, but you you have to focus on that value piece. So that's that's the key learning for me. Great, thank you. N- nice theme to maybe sum up our conversation as well. That whole movement away from technical perfectionism into the relationships and the, the breaking through the silos to really understand the business and deliver value to it even even under pressurized times so mm. thank you james that's great thanks for your time today james it's been a pleasure to chat with you yeah great thank you paul thanks for having me on the show you're very welcome and, and thank you everyone for listening i hope you found that helpful particularly maybe if you're in that kind of data role and you've got to navigate some of the challenges that james shared with us and i hope you continue to listen to the customer insight leader podcast more great interviews coming up and each week there's also fresh content on our blog Customer Insight Leader, or one word, dot com. So you might want to check that out too. Before then, thanks everyone for your time. Have a great week. Stay safe, and I look forward to tuning in again. Bye for now.